Well, good morning. Uh, I just want to say thank you for those uh, for the warm birthday greeting earlier. I appreciate that. I'm so thankful for people in my life like Dylan, who make big deals out of things that I don't want to be made a big deal of. So <laughs> just grateful for that. So, you know, I, being the person I am, I just want to pay it forward, right? So, you know, rather than birthday greetings to me or anything like that, if, you're, if you find yourself like on a website that asks for your email address because they're going to do a, a long subscription list with junk mail, feel free to put e, uh, Dylan's email on there for me today. That would be great. And just bless him with a bunch of junk mail coming forward for a couple weeks. That would be terrific. Maybe toilet paper his house, slash his tires. Just whatever the Lord leads would be fine. We'll just celebrate my birthday that way. Uh, we're continuing on in our series based in Psalm 23. And it's been so good. There's just a, such a sense of God's a presence meeting with us as we go through this stuff. I really enjoy it. And we're heading into, this is the fifth week. We're looking at verse five of Psalm 23. Um, and it's that part of the, it's the part of the Psalm where he talks about uh, preparing, that the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that he anoints my head with oil. That my cup overflows. And, uh, David was a guy, right, who understood what it was to really have enemies. Like for David, enemies wasn't a metaphor or a symbol for anything. It was the real deal. So in his, own, in his homeland, the king, King Saul, had pretty much put all of his armies and on all of his troops to the task of seeking David out and putting him to death, to kill him, to execute him. And then outside of his country, in the surrounding areas, had the Philistines, right, and the Amalekites, and the Jebusites, and the Hittites, and all kinds of ites, and they all wanted to kill him too, because he'd been this mighty warrior, and they wanted him dead. So whether you look from the inside or from the outside, David had swarms of enemies all around, and they all wanted him dead. Maybe you know what that feels like a little bit, that feeling like it's just all around you, that there are people who, whether it's kind of passively just waiting to see it happen so that they can rejoice or whether it's actively seeking it, there's people just all around you waiting to see you destroyed, waiting to see you knocked down or taken down a peg just a little bit. And that sense that the world is against me and wherever I turn, there's somebody opposing me and, and I just can't seem to get forward through all of that resistance. Perhaps you know what that feels like. David did. And it's in the face of that that he writes Psalm 23 and specifically verse five that we're looking at this morning, which says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows. And the idea, I don't know about you, but think about being like chased down by enemies who are flinging arrows and swords and grenades and whatever else at you. Does the idea of just kind of taking a moment to stop and sit down and enjoy a nice meal in the middle of all that feel very safe? No, it actually, I mean, it sounds like nice if it could happen, but if I, I get the feeling that if I slow down for just a couple of minutes, all those enemies that I remain half a step ahead of are going to catch up to me. Like, I'm going to give up what tiny little advantage I might have and be taken off guard. Um, but what we see here in this passage is God himself preparing for David and preparing for us. It's not just food, but it's a meal. He offers this invitation to come and to share a meal. And in the Middle Eastern culture, the implications of inviting someone to share a meal are really significant. You know, we have a word and we call it hospitality, but it's a really weak word compared to the reality of the Middle Eastern culture where that's concerned. And one of the features of that culture is this, that when you invite somebody into your home, when you invite them to come and to share a meal with you, you take on an awful lot of responsibility. The fact of the matter is that when you invite someone into your home and you say, come share a meal, come eat with me, 
that from the moment they cross over the threshold of your door, from the moment they're in your place sitting down at your table, their health, their welfare, their being, their safety, all of that becomes your responsibility. To invite someone in to share a meal is to say, I will protect you. I will keep you safe. And no matter what may be taking place outside, you will be safe within the walls of my home. Have you ever had that opportunity to have someone bring you in and make you safe from the threat that's outside? Uh, where I went to high school, was a, uh, went to a tiny little school. And, uh, and for our sports teams, we had to look around for other schools that were as tiny as ours. And so there's an island off the coast of California where I grew up. It's Catalina Island, and the main town of the island is Avalon. And it's tiny. And the one thing about the people who live in Avalon is this. They hate the people who live on the mainland. They hate us with a passion for reasons I'm not sure that I understand. But I know that every time, every sport we were in, on Friday afternoon, you took the ferry over to play the game uh, on the island on Friday afternoon. You were so seasick from being there that you couldn't possibly win. And then Saturday, you played another game that you would hope you would win. And then you turn around and go back. What I didn't know was this, that if by some miracle you beat their team on Friday night no one on the island would, uh, would feed you or sell you anything on Saturday. <laughs> I didn't find that out till I was a senior because we hadn't come close to winning anything before then. So my senior year, we win the Friday night basketball game, and on Saturday, mor Saturday morning, we're up looking for a place to eat. And in, in no uncertain terms, they told us, there is no food for you here. We don't want you here. And that was, you know, I was a nice kid. I mean, I'm not the, I wasn't the vision of virtue and strength that you see before you today. <laughs> I, you know, I was like 5'10", a buck 65, and, uh, and not real intimidating or anything. But I started wandering around saying, there's got to be a place, like a, a gas station or a vending machine or someplace where I can eat. And as I wandered around this little town, I, I wandered around one corner and into an alley and um, quickly realized I was in the wrong place because there were three of the guys from their team there looking hostile and looking mean and advancing very, very quickly. And I was starting to panic when I heard this really welcome voice. It was my buddy Chris. Chris was our center. 6'5", 250, solid muscle, deep, booming voice. And he pokes his head around the corner and says, hey, Scott, we found a place. You want to join us? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and I'm off and going. And I sat down with my buddy Chris, and we sat down at this one little diner that would let us in and um, protected by his strength, protected by um, his reputation, protected by his ability to do what I could not do for myself, I sat there and enjoyed a decent meal. I had a few moments of peace from the enemies that were pushing in from the outside. That's a, a tiny little momentary image of what David's talking when he says, the Lord prepares for me a table right there in the presence of my enemies. He, he invites me to a meal and says, come in, eat with me. Let me be your protection." Let me be your safety. Let me be the one who worries about the threat. He prepares that table for us right where we are, surrounded by all the chaos, right? With the enemies charging in, when our term papers are due, when the disasters are waiting, when the kids are getting sick, when our parents are getting old, when our business is struggling, when the bills are mounting, with all of that swirling around, it's right there in that place that the Lord invites us to a meal and says, allow me to be the one who protects you from that. Because as I invite you to my table, he says, I take on the responsibility for your safety and for your protection, for your welfare and for your well-being. So that inviting to a meal had this real important implication of uh, protection. But it was more than that. 
The other feature of that kind of uh, Mideastern hospitality is this, that when you invite somebody into your home for a meal, you're going to do more than just feed them and protect them. You're inviting them into relationship. You're inviting them into a level of identifying yourself and your family with them and their family. You say, as you come into my home and as I offer you my protection, we're going to connect here at a level that's deeper than merely passing acquaintance. Over, over food and over some drink, we're going to share our hearts and we're going to share our lives. And when the meal is over and when the day is done, we're going to move forward from here. But our lives are connected because of what we've shared and what we've partaken of together. It's the nature of relationship. And David says that it's with the enemies all around us that God invites us into that kind of relationship by inviting us to this table that he's prepared. And most of us, we can identify, right, those enemies that are on the outside the threats that are coming in, the difficulties and whatever they may be. But all of us at the same time uh, share the same common enemy, and it's the enemy that dwells on the inside. Each one of us are fallen, broken, sinful, less than perfect people, right? In different ways and with different flavors, we all just kind of gravitate towards sin and towards what's right and towards what's self-serving and self-pleasing. We have this nature that's sinful, and, and that sinful nature... Uh, seeks to destroy us. That's the greatest enemy that we face. And it's in the view of that enemy that, that God himself says, although that enemy is real and although that enemy is a real threat, I want to invite you to come share relationship with me. Because the only way to overcome that particular enemy, the enemy of sin within our own hearts and lives, the only way to win that battle it's not by trying harder or being better or becoming more educated or more self-disciplined. It's simply by allowing the Spirit of God to dwell within us. It's simply by saying yes to the invitation to come to the table that the Lord has prepared for us. And as we meet with him there, that inward enemy is overthrown as well. Jesus was so intent upon identifying with us of forming that kind of deep, intimate relationship and friendship with us that he literally died in order to do it, right? So that the invitation could be made open to all. See, when, when the God of heaven invites us to a table that he's prepared, there's an inherent promise that he's going to protect us. There's the inherent call into relationship with him as well, to know him and to be known. And thirdly, there's simply provision for our needs, right? He says, come, and I'm, and I'm going to feed you. Right? But in the culture of the day, it wasn't just the food. It was every need you had was inherent in the invitation. So if you were invited into somebody's home, if you were invited to their table, if, if you, you needed to bring your donkey with you to, to get to their place, when you arrived, guess what? They would take care of the donkey. They'd stable it and feed it and wash it or whatever else you do with donkeys. I don't know. Which, by the way, I think is a great idea. Like, we ought to take this up with our life groups. Our life group is meeting tonight. I'm saying, show up at Life Group, get an oil change for your car, maybe change the brakes or something while you're meeting, right? And then, and then off you go. Something like that. But this sense that, that when God invites us to, to his table, to, to the meal he has prepared, he says, as you come and join me here, it's not just the food, it's not just the nutrition. It's every need that you have becomes his responsibility, with enemies surrounding us, God prepares a table for us. He invites us to a meal. With those three features, protection and relationship and provision. And if you're a note taker, I would jot those down. And here's why. 
Sometimes people uh, will ask about, you know, I want to spend time with God and I want to pray and I want to talk to him, but I just can't kind of get my thoughts together. I don't know what to do with the time once I set it aside. And can I just suggest that those three things, protection and relationship and provision, make a great outline of how to spend some time with God. Maybe start by just placing yourself within the sphere of God's protection. God, I'm coming to you, and, and this day, I need you watching over me. My wife, by name, my kids, by name, my family members, by name, my coworkers, by name. God, I just want to ask your protection around everything that's going on. And then maybe move on to a time of just relationship, just you and God. That's, relationship is about sharing what's on your heart, right? And about listening and hearing what's on the heart of the other. There's a time in our daily time that we spend with God that's just got to be relationship. God, what are you saying to me? And God, what's in my heart to share with you? Protection and then relationship. And then comes the time to talk about provision. God, you've offered me these promises. You've said that you'll be enough. Here are the areas, God, where I'm asking you to, to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way, to provide where there doesn't seem to be any provision. That, that simple outline can carry you a long way towards a time in prayer. He says, there's a table, and I've prepared it for you right in the midst of your enemies. And then he says, David says this, he says, you anoint my head with oil. And this one probably doesn't resonate with most of us because we don't do this a lot. Uh, anointing with oil is not part of our daily routine too much. But there are a lot of implications of this as well. And to understand it, you need to understand, again, the culture out of which it's coming. And, and in that culture, anointing with oil is a real significant deal. Um, how many of you left home today... Uh, and brushed your teeth. Okay, some of you are either shy or you need to get with the program. <laughs> right? Brushing our teeth or washing our hands or combing our hair, those of us who have it left, that's just something that we do. It's part of, what, of, of getting ready, right? Well, anointing with oil was a part of that program for them as well. They lived in the, in the desert where you had sunshine and dust and sand, and part of getting ready and to go out and face kind of the exposure to the elements that that day would produce was to get some oil and to rub it on your face in the exposed area of your skin so that your skin would be protected, so that it could stay moist, so that you wouldn't just get all burnt up, right? That was what they did. So there's this sense of anoint, when God anoints us with oil, David's saying, you make me ready for this day. You protect me from the elements of this day that are out there and awaiting me. You, you, you protect me from the harm that's going to come. It's part of the daily routine of getting ready is to say, Lord, would, would you anoint me with your presence so that I'm ready to face what comes that way? It's interesting, though. Um, anointing with oil isn't like shooting it out of a fire hose from across the room, <laughs> right? In order for the Lord to anoint us, and that way we have to spend some time and make some space and get close so that the oil can be washed over us and we can be protected. Uh, anointing with oil had another feature, too, and it was more like um, about the social greeting. When somebody came to your home, and you invited them in for a meal. Yes, you, um, uh, you, wash, you gave them something to wash their hands. You washed the dirt from their feet, right? You took care of their donkey or whatever else got there. And part of the routine was this. You anointed their head with oil. It's the way of saying, welcome. In this place, after a day in the hot sunshine and long travel, here is a place where you can be made fresh once again. You can get cleaned up. You can be restored. You can be healed. You can be made whole. This is a place where that's happened. That was the social meaning of that particular thing. And when David says, you anoint my head with oil, 
he recognizes that God is saying, here at my table, here at this feast I've invited you to, um, you are welcome. This is a place of refreshing and restoration. There's another implication here with regard to the anointing with the oil, and this one actually has to do with the sheep. Uh, you know, Psalm 23, it's the shepherd and the whole deal. So um, sheep had this problem, and it was this, that out in, kind of in the wilderness where they were, there's, you know, bugs and flies and mites and gnats and all kinds of stuff. And they love to buzz around the sheep's face and stuff. And sheep have, those, like puppies, you know, the wet, mucusy kind of nose. Well, that's where the bugs and the flies like to lay their eggs and grow their larvae. And we're almost to lunch, so settle in with me. This is going to be good. Sorry, Sorry about that. But they would do that. If, if the larva took hold, if, if, if there was an infestation that got going, it would, be, it would start with a little irritation. And then it got really painful for the sheep itself, and it got damaging. And sheep, brilliant things that they are, it, in order to get rid of the pain and the itching on their nose that was caused by the infestation, they would find whatever they could, and they would begin by trying to rub against it. But eventually, they'll start banging their nose up against the stone trying to get, solve the problem, which pretty much serves only to knock them out unconscious. <laughs> right? Gosh, is it possible we could make an application? <laughs> Let's say I'm going out on a limb here, but saying, isn't it true that we as human beings find the most ridiculous ways to deal with the things that trouble us? I mean, like the most self-destructive, ridiculous ways to deal with the problems that are there. And I'm talking about ridiculous from the level of just closing my ears and turning my head and saying, I'm going to pretend that they don't exist, right? To saying, I'm just going to I'm so tired of it, I'm going to self-medicate myself till I'm numb and I can't even tell that they're there, to saying I'm going to lash out at other people and I'm going to blame them and become angry and bitter. We've got a whole host of ways of dealing with life's troubles that are absolutely self-destructive. What the shepherd would do with the sheep is once that infestation started, they'd just take some oil, a lot of it, and rub it over the nose of the sheep and over the infected area, and it would bring healing and soothing and calming, and with the oil present, uh, the larva couldn't thrive and the infestation would go away. There was healing. There is restoration. The root cause of the problem of the sheep was dealt with because of the presence of the oil with which they were anointed. So maybe rather than denying or lashing out or self-medicating or blaming, maybe what we can really do with the problems and the difficulties of our lives is to turn to the Lord and say, I need your touch. God, you promised to anoint me with oil and bring the healing and restoration. Will you do that for me? That's part of what David is saying there. And then finally, when it came time to, uh, uh, to announce a new king or a new priest or a prophet, the indication that there was a special calling on a unique individual that God was setting up for that role was that they would be, what, anointed with oil. And the oil would just be poured over them and they'd be all slathered and it'd be a big gooey mess. It's what happened when David was anointed to be king when he was a child, if you remember that. Right? So, and in that, there's this sense when, when the psalmist says, you anoint my head with oil. And this is important. It's, there's the recognition here. That, that God has a unique calling, a specific purpose, that me and you and each of us individually have been uniquely created by God to do things nobody else can do, to reach people nobody else can reach, to reflect God's love and his care and his image in ways that nobody else can. And it's because of his anointing on us and his specific calling that he has on us that he, he anoints us and he draws us forth and says, you matter, you make a difference, you are not insignificant. I have plans and things to do in you and through you that will blow your mind, and I want to anoint you in advance as an indication that I have that in store for you. You, the psalmist says, you anoint my head with oil, and it's rich with meaning, and it's rich with power. He also says this. He says, my cup overflows. And as an image, right, that, that one's pretty easy to understand. Just, God, I have this cup, and you 
pour out your blessings, and not just in, in tiny little measure, not just maybe enough to get by, but you just keep pouring until it overflows over the top. That was actually part of the formal and social greeting, uh, again, in the culture of the day, that when your guest came in after washing their hands and anointing their face and everything else, in many circumstances, you'd, you'd bring them their beverage and you'd give them the cup, and, and you'd pour, and you would not stop until it was actually overflowing. So between the oil and the stuff overflowing, I'm not sure what their floors looked like, probably a wreck. But that was hardly the point because the indication was this. While you're in this house, while you're at this meal to which we've invited you, while you're in this place, there will be no lack. There is an abundance here which, make, which makes sense that you can see played out before you in the fact that we will pour your cup over to overflowing. That's what God's word says he does with us. In the midst of our enemies, he, he pours out a blessing that overflows. He prepares a table. He anoints with oil our cup overflows so that because of him, because of him, you and I are no longer the hunted ones, right? We're no longer the hunted ones. We're the ones who have been found. And we're no longer being chased down by our enemies. But by his grace, we are being made champions. And we're no longer caught up every day in the battle. But every day, he is making us conquerors. And as Paul wrote, even more than conquerors. We're no longer victims. We're victorious. And I just want to let that set in a little bit. Because so often we identify with all of the enemies and all of the battles. I want to take a moment just to settle in and say, no, God says you are something more than just an embattled warrior who's on the verge of breakdown. He says you're triumphant and you're victorious and you're a champion and you're going to win. And there is nothing wrong with celebrating that and that it's true. But what do we do as champions? What, what do we do as, as victors? What do we do when we've run into the presence of the Lord and now it's his strength that stands behind us and we sit at his table and we enjoy this feast of his blessings and the enemies in our life, wherever they may be, they're kind of held at arm's distance and they can't get to us and they can't overcome us and we're winning. What do we do then? Jesus said it this way. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to them the other cheek also. You see, Jesus refers to this rule that had been in place since the Old Testament law, and it was this, that when you're the champion, when you're the victor, when you have the power to pay your adversary back, when you're in the power position, when you're in the driver's seat, you have to limit your payback. You have to limit your revenge. You have to limit your justice. You're entitled to pay them back as, as far as they went, but no further. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but do, no, do not go past what justice is. You're entitled to your justice, but no more. But then Jesus comes along, and what does he say? He says that's not really what the, the intent of the passage, and that's not the intent of God's heart. And he says, let me help you understand where God's heart is on that. He says, Jesus, that is, says, I'm not about justice, and I'm not about giving people what they deserve. He says, I'm about giving grace. I'm about giving mercy. I'm about giving forgiveness, about setting people free. He says, don't insist on the justice that you're entitled to, but instead of taking the justice that you're entitled to, turn the other cheek. Take another shot. 
far from taking, taking the justice which is your due, allow them even the opportunity to hurt you, insult you, or harm you even farther. And I will say this, that if those are just words, that's some of the lousiest advice we will ever receive. But there is more going on there than just some words of advice. There's the life of Jesus that stands behind it. And the most powerful thing that has ever been accomplished in human history was accomplished by, by God in human flesh with all the power and all the right to exact as much justice as he wanted. And he lived out this bit about turning his cheek and not resisting and demonstrating a love that is powerful in its expression of mercy and grace. And he did that so that you and I and all could accept the invitation to come to the table that he had prepared so that the doors of heaven would be thrown wide open and so that all could enter. That same Jesus went on to say this. You've heard it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And so, yeah, God does prepare a table for us right in the midst of our enemies when we're surrounded. But he doesn't permit us the luxury of looking out at those enemies and saying, I'm the victor and you're not. I'm the recipient of God's favor and you're on the outside. See, every part of me, once I've been protected from my enemies and have taken God's strength on hand, I want to look out and I just want to say in a very mature way, neener, neener, to all of you who can't get to me now. But you'll search the Bible a long time before you'll find the phrase, neener, neener. Here's, here's the real deal. It's at that point, the point that God has invited me to the table he's prepared, and the point at which I accept that invitation, and that I look out at the enemies that would still do me harm, they would still get to me and overthrow me if they could. It's at that point that God does the unthinkable. He invites my enemies to join us at the table. And there's a part of me that recoils at that. There's a part of me that just doesn't like that they're going to get here too. And when I'm honest, I realize the really ugly truth about myself. Because the only reason that I would feel that way is because that somehow, somewhere, deep down in the darkest plates of my soul, I'm really convinced that there's something about me that I've done or been something that I somehow deserve the mercy and the grace and the protection that God has given me. I somehow deserve it in a way that they do not. And that is at the heart of pride and that is at the heart of sin. It relays my fundamental misunderstanding of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. Because in my best moments, I understand I offer nothing to God except the sin that he's offering to forgive. And that his love and his care for me and his invitation to come join him at the table that he's preparing, that has nothing to do with me or my virtue or my value or my accomplishments. Nothing. It's simply an expression of his love. I deserve his love no more than the worst of my enemies. And so while I sit leaning back into the strength of his protection and into the strength of his care, he invites my enemies to come and join and says, I've prepared this table for you as well. 
folks, we can do no less. There really are those who would do us harm, who would, who would wish us harm and destruction. There are those who maybe have been actively working at that in family relationships, in business relationships, in all kinds of relationships. I suspect that even as I'm talking about it, their names and faces come into mind. And I want to say this, that if we're really going to understand God's invitation to us to join him at that table, then we have to understand that right alongside that comes the challenge to invite even our enemies to that table as well. That's a painful challenge. You know what that challenge requires? An inordinate, incredible amount of faith that God will still protect me. I want to put the challenge to you. That name, that face, that person, that situation, that unresolved relationship, that enemy that's out there. What if God's asking, not your permission, but your understanding to seat that enemy at the table that he's prepared right next to you? See, we tend to think, well, it's in my power. I'll just deny it, reject it. Nope. You know, reserved, flip the seat over, no one standing there. But to be seated at the table of the Lord is to be seated next to every guest he invites. The pride that says, I belong, but they don't, actually reveals a pride that says, I deserve this. And we don't. We exist at God's table because of his mercy, because of his grace. Because nothing we've done but everything that he's done. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to pray here in just a moment. And I want to invite, I want to invite us all to make maybe one of two different responses. The first one is this. Maybe for the first time or maybe for years and years, you've been hearing about this invitation to the table that the Lord, to the meal that the Lord has prepared, to the fellowship that he invites you into, to the table that is his. Maybe you've heard the voice of God saying, please come, I've prepared this for you. I want relationship for you. I want to protect you. I want to be your safety. I want to anoint you. I want to restore you. I want all of that that the psalm promises. I want that. Maybe you've heard the invitation, but you've never actually accepted it. This can be the day. This can be the morning. This could be the time where you say, yep, I'm coming to the table. And if that's you, I want to pray for you in just a moment. Secondly, maybe you've, maybe you've accepted the invitation and maybe you've been hanging around at the table for a long, long time. Or maybe just recently, it doesn't really matter. But maybe as we're talking, you really feel the tug of God's Holy Spirit within you saying, it, it's time to open up a space next to you. It's time to stop resisting the ability of your enemies to come to that same table. It's time to do yourself what God has already done long ago, and that's to forgive them. To extend mercy to them and extend grace to them. It's time to choose to let go of the relational debt that you hold against them and say it no longer applies because we're at the table of the Lord together. They may or they may not choose to accept that invitation, but you can master your own heart and make a decision that releases you. So today whether you're saying for the first time ever I want to accept that invitation or whether today you say I'm letting go of something I've got against someone who I would have considered my enemy and I'm choosing to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness towards them. If that's you, I'm praying for you now, as are we all. Heavenly Father, first God, I just, um, 
I'm moved by the amount of love and grace and mercy you extend. I'm moved by your invitation and grateful that uh, you cared enough about each one of us being at that meal that you gave your son to make it happen. God, we say yes to that invitation this morning. Some of us are reaffirming that yes. Others are saying yes for the first time, but we say yes to the offer to come to your table. And God, others of us, when we're honest, we confess, God, we bear malice and ill will, anger and unforgiveness and resentment toward people that we perceive as our enemies. And God, we ask that you would, by your grace and by your power, help us to see them for what they are. They are not your enemies. They are bearers of your image, who you love, and for whom you died, and whom you also invite to the table. God, would you change our heart towards them? And as we await that, God, we simply make a change, uh, we make a decision today. God, we release them to you. We ask your best upon them. We pray a blessing upon them. God, if they need to come be a part of your table as well, God, we invite them in and say, God, would you lead them to places of salvation and blessing and grace? God, help us to love our enemies in ways that we cannot do in our own strength. God, help us to say yes to you in ways that are ever more passionate as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things together. Amen.